Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Stolen Signs from Baseball Prospectus. I am Kendall Gilmet here with Harry Pavlidis. Hi, Harry. Hi, Kendall. Happy uh, New Year. I think it's our first show of the new year. It is indeed. So yes. here we are. So far, so good in 2016. 2016. 2018. Yeah, so good. I've gone back in time. Yes. Yeah. The off season is still slow. It is very slow. It is very slow. Teams are um, not signing very many people. True. Um, yeah. I read. I read today. Ichiro is like considering going back to Japan. You know, it's like, well, yeah. It's like, so. Probably Definitely, wouldn't be a yeah. terrible thing for him. No, but I think he wants to play here. That makes sense too. I mean, yeah, it is. This is the majors. It is. So, <clears throat> I think that's his still his hope and plan. But it's weird. It's like most of the free agents haven't signed. Yes, definitely not the big ones. So, um, and, and there's been a lot of talk of collusion. The yeah, the owners are colluding to uh, drive free agent prices down, or uh, simply this is and this has actually happened in baseball twice. <laughs> I think, and this would be uh, somebody pointed out this would be another fifteen-year interval between. So I think it was like eighty-seven, two thousand two, or something like that. So, uh, but famously, guys like Tim Raines couldn't get a contract. Uh, and, you know, so there, there's definitely been a precedent for it. So when people, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, people, I don't think it's chicken little. It's, it's happened before. So there's reason to be suspicious. I think that's justifiable and fair, but I think what's, what's really been, there's always been some kind of like, well, wait a minute type of stuff going on. And then when you kind of zoom out and some people have done some good reporting on it recently. And I think you kind of start to see that something is wrong with this labor market, but it's not necessarily some form of hard collision or even soft collision. It's just, it's systematic. It's like, this is what happens when you set up the collective bargaining agreement such that guys get paid as they are, they're going to secure long-term contracts that pay them to overpay them in effect for their downside of their career. That just to oversimplify it. Right. So team, um, yeah. teams are paying basically for past performance. And then there's also the, the point of, um, you know, guys aren't going to take, this is their, you know, their one shot. Like I, I right. saw a U Darvish tweet um, in response to the Yankees, some Yankees fan who was like, come on, come to the Yankees. And he was like, guys, relax. Like, this is my shot. Like, this is, yeah, I, I'm probably only going to be a free agent once or at least, be able to, um, you know, pull this kind of contract one time, and um, so it makes sense from that point of view that that they want to well, maximize. That, that, I mean, that would that would slow it down, but with, you know, but the contract players aren't getting big contracts, not yet. But, yeah, not so it's sure. not only guys aren't signing, but guys who are signing, people are looking at the but contract values and saying those are low. But at the same time, I mean, people were complaining, like we're pointing out how much money the Rockies spent on relief pitching. Right. Exactly. So it's so, so there's a little bit of like I'm like I, I don't know I'm like but what I do see is that all these front offices have 
have equal information. <laughs> you know, they all have, it's like everybody's working out of the same playbook. And when it comes to free agent dollars, everybody knows now that that's, there's a tendency to overpay. And, you know, so you at least want to keep the years of the contract shorter. And that's not what these guys are looking for because the way the whole, the union set, you know, and the, and the league negotiated and have agreed over the years is that, you know, you have six years where, of club control and depending on when you're called if you're called up when you're 26 you know and if you're versus if you're called up when you're 20 it, you know there's a big difference from where you hit the free agent market so the guys who are like those rare guys who are in their late 30s you know like excuse me late later 20s that you know you would expect them to be able to get the longer term contracts but the you know the older guys you wouldn't but they always have like you've always been like and it's always been kind of an acceptable thing in baseball like to over how it works like, yeah you're gonna pay you're gonna it's gonna hurt on the back end of this contract because that's just the way it is to get him during the last couple of years of his prime you know that there's i mean they talked openly about that one here in chicago when they signed soriano that they had to pay right. a premium because he was a, he, there weren't many big name guys on on the on the market and two like you know as you know we know that will be overpaid at the end but it'll be worth it because they're trying to go to the world series and they thought he would help get him and you know he was you know, that that's a, a good contract to look at saying, was that worth it or not? You know, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. And I tend to fall on the it was side, but I can see why people would look at that contract and go, let's avoid doing that. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, there's a couple um, American League sluggers right now who ha are saddled with these gigantic contracts in Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols, both in a little bit different tiers, but... Um, you know, so when, it's like these guys should be getting paid, but the structure yeah. is wrong. Right. Like it, I think what, I think that's what kind of is starting to come become clear is that the way it's set up is not optimal because it's created a system that the league can exploit and actually end up suppressing salaries. And that's not what you want in baseball because there's enough there's adequate revenue in baseball to pay the players but they've done they've also gone and put in this soft salary cap this lug, a very much more punishing luxury tax um and that right there is keeping teams afraid because basically what you've done is like recognize that the top dollars that you spend tend to often be inefficient dollars the top dollars you spend are now going to cost you ability on to acquire controllable talent and that's where the values are I and mean, this has been coming a long time. Everybody always talks about years of control, cost controlled. You know, you, you know, buying out. You do the calculation to buy out some of the guys pre-arb years at a premium, but get a discount on his first free agent years. Guys at the Longoria contract and things like that. There's, oh, this has been coming, but the CBA did not, did not adapt. Like so, I think I, I, I mean, I was kind of surprised, like that the economists and labor lawyers didn't worry about this stuff and putting in a soft cap from the players and, union yeah from the yeah. yeah i'm like surprised that this happened because like they should be able, like i mean it's easy for me to sit back here you know and look back but their whole job is to you know <laughs> avoid this happening and so he's like wow you set up a system of incentives that are bad and you guys are unaware of this like that that the whole world has been so okay so sandy alderson said something really kind of strange today where he's like basically said that everybody knows 
that free agent dollars at the long-term contracts tend to be bad. They're using everybody reads baseball prospectus and fan graphs. Like, like don't blame us. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in some ways there in is. In some ways it's right. Okay, it's right. sure. But, but it's also disingenuous because if it was if we were really if they were if we were really the ones wagging the dog, please like if we really were, then they'd be paying minor leaguers so much more and uh, right. Yeah, there, there are a lot of other not, issues. Yes, it's people from these publications who have made the fan bases aware and made it hard to get away from that fact inside of baseball, and also now people from that era uh, uh, who have kind of grown up as it were on that information are in the front offices. There's a lot more people who are. It's just a general way cap capital is grows these days in this country, where people you know really milk the profits out of everything. That's become like the most important thing, as opposed to like stepping back, looking at the externalities in the marketplace and where you fit in. The, you know, it's a, there's just kind of you know all these things are happening you know in America, but also in baseball has changed and the information is more there's all these forces happening that that do this so you don't need you don't need to have the owners in some dark room going let's do this it's just you know if we can get a soft cast salary cap that that the owners like that and they got that so now it's like there's big incentives for their teams to not go over certain limits and that here we are yeah and i think i mean some part of it is it's the the teams are operating within the CBA, so you know in in effect the the players association kind of screwed up here, and and so kind of moving into the next CBA negotiations, this needs to be fixed in some way. Um, do you have any? Can, can you see any any way forward to uh, to change it, fix it, or <laughs> any suggestions? If there's anyone listening from the Players yeah. <laughs> pay the earlier put. What raise the minimum salary? Shorten the years of team, you know, shorten the team control. Uh, that's how you do it. Basically, yeah. take away from those big free agent contracts that guys get at the end of their career. It's like you ha- can't service the members who have seven years. You need to service the members who have two, three years, and that the union has to like make that bigger priority and bigger negotiating point than, than some of the guys thinking, okay, I'll be able to get a $200 million contract based on these common, you know, because that will make it so they, they're so they can't, (laughs) it's self-defeating. They don't need to sign the $200 million contract because they've already been making well, good money for years and years. I mean, it's, it's in a way, these things are all just redistributions of wealth. It, like it or not, and things that are, and people are like, well, you want to redistribute wealth, and that's always, like, described as this thing, like, going down to the less wealthy, and it's like, okay, but isn't, like, negotiating terms that, you know, don't, do not include players who are off the 40-man roster, you know, uh, you know, th- th- have no accommodation from, you know, having a minimum, you know, minimum wage being met in the minor leagues, like, you, you know, they're not members of your union, but okay, why don't you recertified and making union that does yeah. have those guys, you know, in there. Uh, you know, why don't you have less team control? Why don't you make the minimum salary higher as opposed to it's like, cause well, that will cost you guys, you know, on your big free agent contracts. And it's like, well, you know, I, I, I asked the question and, and nobody answered it, but I wonder 
what is the average term, you know, service years of the player reps? And who are they representing? Right. <laughs> are they representing the five most senior guys on the team or the five most junior guys on the team? Because those junior guys are the ones who need the most protection. Um, so you can't look at the union as a chance to make sure the top earners make big dollars. That's fine. That's normal. But it creates an unhealthy thing where it, it undermines itself. Where it's like, okay, if you set it up so that the best dollars go to guys who are at the end of their careers, eventually people are going to be like, I'm not paying those dollars anymore. So it's this, I think this is very not necessarily sinister. <laughs> like people want to make it out to be. I think it's simply, this is just, we've set up an economic system that re that rewards this these types of decisions. Yeah, and I think it's going to be really difficult to... For, for the players union to kind of scratch back some of that real estate on on the negotiation, mm -hmm. you know, at the negotiation table because they, they've already kind of let it out, let the cat out of the bag. And so... Hard to get toothpaste back in the tube. There you go. Let's see how many more, you know, little like cliches and uh, things. We oh, I got I, I, <laughs> The next hour we'll have mixed, mixed metaphors. Perfect. All right. So that's that's fun stuff. But there you go. So no transactions. No transactions of note. Um, well, but there's still some fun stuff. Yeah, there's still fun stuff. Yeah, so we're going to take a little break first. Um, well, you can find us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us via email, baseball or bleh, stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com. And we will be back after a short break. You wanna be tough, better do what you can, so be there. But you wanna be fair, just get episode 16 of Stolen Signs. Um, next, we're going to talk a little bit about some cool new technology stuff that has been coming out in like in regards to baseball. Uh, one of the things that Eno Saris wrote a little piece about, and um, there's also a, like the, I think the piece that he referenced was uh, from the Duke Health, and it's about a study that they did at Duke that um, looks at vision and sensory, um, like neuro, gosh, neuroscience. Is it? Yeah, like neuro, neuroscience and like, um, yeah. like reaction tasks and vision and, tasks and yeah, and and so it it talks about. You know, I noticed something funny that it's from they're they're called Nike sensory systems. So right. it's like these it's like these big touch screens where you do the tests. So it's like at Duke. With some guys going to be a Cleveland intern, right? And it's with Nike equipment. Like this is heavily branded. <laughs> it's got credentials, man. But, but it's cool. It's, it's cool. Like neuroscience. Yeah, but what Eno wrote about was like the whole like neuroscience like can predict on base percentage, which is basically you know that's kind of a sexy, uh, dangerous way of describing this research. But yeah. it's basically what they found. Like. Yeah, professional baseball players at certain tasks, like nothing to do with their power, you know, but or, or slugging percentage, and it's just basically like 
I'm just going to kind of just read something from it. Yeah, I totally. think this will help explain it. Okay, so the players were U.S. major minor league teams. This is from the Duke Health like release on it. So they use large touchscreen stations to complete nine exercises. So it's a battery of tests, okay? So that's pretty normal for these types of things, but this is more advanced and stuff. What I was doing when I was in graduate school back in the last millennium. Uh, the players, uh, two-dimensional video games where you track or touch flat shapes as they shoot across the screen. So it's just basically neuroscience-designed video game tasks. So Basically playing Duck Hunt. Yeah, so it's like there's the tasks are supposed to have like an abstraction or be an, a, to a actual thing. So one of the things was can you perceive uh, information that's off in the periphery, not where you're focused, and you know, or so, you know, or something that's really quick at the beginning of the task that has to affect your decision later, and they compare that to you know noticing the, the, the some type of wrist action or finger. You know, you see something in the pitcher's hand that he's throwing you a curveball. So being able to use that information. So there's kind of some you have to you have to buy the uh, the bridge between the two things, you know. And there's no you know, but the guys who did well in those tasks tended to in their professional leagues do better at drawing walks and not striking out. So they better plate discipline. So guys who could you know choose when to swing better. Yeah, and I thought they, it was interesting, like that it was not necessarily about when you started your swing, or it was more about being able to stop your swing when you saw this that is it was a ball. Huge man, yeah. There's another study uh, that that our friend Rob Gray has pointed us to that that we, we kind of guessed at correctly. Luckily, that the notion is that there's like these these visual occlusion studies where basically you're you can put on these goggles that in, in a nanosecond I can turn them black so you can't see out of them. Like blink, you, you're blind. So if you if I okay, I'm going to do put those on you and have you face a pitch coming out of a, out of a machine, and I'm going to turn your glasses black. Um, hitters can still hit if you, you know if you turn off the glasses at 150 milliseconds before they have to hit the ball. That's fine because like, they've already made a decision. It's basically it, there's the, the eye movements that have to occur and the neural trans the, the nerve transmissions and the decisions and the integration of that information to the swing. It's too late. It's too late. so it doesn't add or subtract anything from the player. So it's just that's like the cutoff. Anything before that, you know, if it's you know a quarter of a second, they're still able to. You can still, if you include them there, they'll they'll screw up more, uh, you know, than if you don't. Like so, at 150 milliseconds, it doesn't matter anymore. At 250, it does. So, here at Baseball Prospectus, you'll see a difference on. In we're going to have a new release on tunneling data. I'm currently cursing at the server right now because the data is not doing loading the way I want it to. Um, but we have new way of calculating tunnels for now that. I'm sure it will change pretty soon because <laughs> someone will get and go, you could do it better. But the idea is that from the batter's point of view and a, and a bit of perspective, um, you know, we want to, we want to use, uh, you know, that kind of new calculation of the ball trajectory, uh, you know, perspective of the ball's trajectory to figure out where the differences between two pitches and the, you know, kind of the tunneling concept. And we're using up to 150 milliseconds before the swing has to occur. Basically, where the and we're using that like swing has to occur at the point the ball crosses the front of home plate. Guys tend to contact a little earlier, so a little later sometimes. So it's not like again magic, 
but the notion being that roughly 150 milliseconds, that's it. Any information, any difference between the two pitches after that doesn't doesn't matter. So we're taking like the biggest difference before. So that's like the the last point at, it's the point of no return basically it's the last point yeah, where you can really process right. it yeah, it's is the last right? point where yeah there's a lot there's that's the last point in which the, the behavior of the ball and flight is useful to you you've already decided if you're going to swing or not and where you're where you're going to try and put the bat and after that is it just you'll know reflex, like sometimes you swing memory, and go, you know, yeah because yeah, of, yeah. in that <laughs> it's like you know like it's too late and you recognize it and there's a whole there's a whole bunch of neurological processes that you, that you can actually observe in certain ways that show that i mean this is you know the brain is doing all sorts of different things during the processing of the swing and the and watching the pitch picking up on cues and you may not be completely consciously aware of all these things um particularly the execution the mechanics of the swing you know you don't you don't explicitly think about how you're going to walk up the stairs right so uh so there's definitely a whole lot going on there's a lot of muscle memory and training there's also a lot of you know impulse control and you know, inhibition there's you know, pitch recognition then there's also recognizing you know why you made a mistake that's part of it too like your brain's trying to figure out why did i screw up and uh so there's so what's happening at duke is really cool because it's taking these types of like okay there should be some correlations between what we know are good important tests of neurological like and cognitive adeptness certain skills that we think should map to such and such and it looks like they do so they don't know if it's oh i have these skills on the computer test therefore i'll be good at baseball or if i'm good at baseball and by becoming good at baseball i have to also do it. there's no we don't know there's no causal relationship at all established here whatsoever so the idea, though, is like you can use this maybe something to start using to look at for benchmarking players, scouting players, training guys going, OK, is it trainable? Like this is just the beginning. This is a very early phase of this type of work. But I it's thought, cool. I thought that that was one cool thing about, um, you know, there's definitely like the neuro scouting um, mm-hmm. idea. But then even beyond that is taking the guys that you have in your system and you know, maximizing their That's growth the whole in thing these areas. Because, yeah, it's, it's development. There's so much individual difference to begin with in, in, in what people like, are going to score across a battery of relevant tests and, and how they'll perform under a bunch of, against different kinds of pitchers and different kinds of stuff, you know. So there's there's so much value and there's so much depth. And it's not just going to be, we found these three simple rules. It's going to be, we found all these different things that are interesting and we're going to work really hard to figure out how we can use that knowledge to make our players better or identify better players, uh, you know, it's, you know, or maximize the skills, you know, like you don't want to, but you don't want to be deterministic with these types of tests. It, right. They're mildly diagnostic and informative at this, particularly at this point, they're just mostly interesting, but it's, it, but it's exciting. This could be, you know, many, these things go slowly. Yeah. And I think that these are all things that are like, you know, you said, or a lot when you were talking about it, but I think it's probably going to be a lot of ands. And they're just, you know, any marginal gains that anybody can make and, and get from any of these, you know, whether it's neuroscouting and, and kind they're of gonna try it. finding people Can't if hurt. it's, if it's um, yeah. helping develop that, all of those different things are, are going to go on. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's another one that we should talk about, which I, there's really nothing online beyond like a, a tweet. 
and this is from Diamond Kinetics, the guys who do the uh, swing. I think you put a thing on the knob of your bat, or it's built into the bat, and it tells you all about your swing. It's good for training. They've developed a ball that will be like pitch effects, but it's in the ball. Yeah, it's like you can't hit a tweet it. <laughs> and a video. And that's they, about they it. showed it off at a conference. Uh, I've talked to a couple people. Not there, but it uh, sounds like based on previous information, like the other products and, and, and this product's plan is that there's an API, so people use it, will be able to download the data, which is exciting. Um, but hopefully some, one of our friends will be getting a getting his grubby little paws on it and, and testing it. Um, I want one too. But yeah. uh, it, it, I have questions. So many so many questions about this because okay it's supposed to be regulation weight and feel and like you know surface you know seam height whatever great cool don't hit it right gotcha okay like well i mean what if what am i throwing it against like am i throwing it into a net am i throwing it into a catcher's glove and how many times can i throw it into a catcher's glove at you know arriving at somewhere near 90 miles an hour as it smacks the glove if i'm throwing way high um or am I throwing it against a wall? How many times can I inadvertently bounce it against the cement floor of my training facility? Uh, those are my questions. And, and how, how does that affect the sensitivity of whatever what? sensor yeah, yeah. is like? like what, how quickly am I going to break this thing? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, I mean, literally, it's like, okay, like, I'm, I'm assuming that if I just drop it, it's okay, right? Okay, but like, what's the, what level of force can this thing withstand? And how many times can it withstand it? Yeah, I'm going to break it. Just how soon am I going to break it? And uh, the uncomfortable question about, you know, how do you calibrate your ball? And that's, you know, that's, <laughs> how do you know it's accurate? Right. How do you know this thing is giving you really accurate information unless you have something else to test it against? So it's telling you spin rate and this and that. It's like, how do you know? You know, how do you know? How, I mean, so I, I'm like, I'm sure it's an honest product, but how do how does it stay in calibration? Right. How, yeah, like there, like, is there like you have to like like roll it? It's like they're like okay, every every week you have to like roll it down, you know, like a, a flat floor, and like a test mode, you know, or something. Like, <laughs> I don't know. like squeeze it twice and then roll it, and then when it blinks blue, roll it again. It's like syncing up your BB-8 robot to your phone. Yeah, there you go. So, which my dog, may she rest in peace. She destroyed my BB-8. Um, you had a, a like a. I was like one of the early purchasers of the little small BB-8 robots, like several years ago, and they, uh, my dog, I thought it was funny, <laughs> but Dora did not. She knocked it like, she knocked it like clear across the room. There you go. And, uh, it, and then she took the head piece; it had come off. It's magnetically attached, or, or was, and she took that off and like ran off with it. And upon recovery, I don't know what happened, but it just doesn't hold the head, doesn't hold on to the, the robot body anymore. So it just doesn't work. Dora would not accept any competition. Dora, Dora no. <laughs> she was like, I am the only one. Yeah, Dora's house. <laughs> yeah, it still is, I guess. So anyways, uh, yeah, so I want to know how this ball would survive, you know, it, it, like what happens. I mean, somebody's going to do something by mistake, right? Like somebody's gonna think it's, you're just throwing regular pitch. Oops, they hit it. You know, but whatever. I mean, I'm sure. I don't know. I, I can't find any information on this thing yet, but I can't wait. I, I'm kind of excited because if yeah. if you could literally put a ball that like anybody can just throw, 
uh, you know, and measure stuff with. And it, that's pretty crazy cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. I mean, it'd be fun even just like to go out and mess around with it. Like not even oh. in it, like just for like totally like me just, just going out. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be super fun. Oh, incredible. So I think that would be something that would really sell. So if it's a, if it's not too expensive and if it's durable, so. Yep. That's yeah. what's new in the world. That's what, as far as technology, technology, but you know, we have more stuff coming at BP. I want to quickly mention before our next break, which, so I kind of hinted at, we're going to have a whole new like hitters perspective tunnel. And if you hear my mouse clicking, this isn't looking Yeah, that job is running. It better be saving. Um, the, the, the new data will be out so, soon. I hope we also have new visualizations that we may put together or have put together that we're hoping to get published. Like we're actually going to have like some shiny apps, like one that's going to be totally unrelated to, to pitch tracking and pitching, but it's looks out like draft surplus stuff that one of our interns had uh, led putting together, which is a cool intern project. Hopefully people will enjoy that. And then the other shiny thing we're working on is kind of an at-bat matchup tool looking at actual pitch tracks and at-bats and showing like demarcating the tunneling point and stuff like that. So it would all tie to the data we're talking about releasing. So we got all that going on. Of course, Pakoda's getting ready to drop the book. You can pre-order the book. BP Annual is available for pre-order at Amazon and your other favorite booksellers, yes. I think. I have no idea. <laughs> it is. I looked on um, Powell's website, oh. um, and I believe you can order it. You can definitely order the hardcover edition, um, but I think you can pre-order the, the softcover edition too. Yeah. And we have some new stuff in there, that command scoring stuff, uh, like command power and stamina that we talked about a few episodes ago, right? Sausage, making sausage. Yes. And... Uh, we're going to have pitching week, so at the end of the month, we'll have, you know, it's January, and at the end of the month, we're going to have pit our pitching week, which will feature this new tunnel stuff and whatever our writers come up with, um, but also we're going to have a guest article that's going to also include some research that we're doing, that, that, well, that I'm doing, uh, that is about what, what will actually happen if we switch to a robotic ump. So I've talked about this a lot, about how... You won't have the serious blown calls, like the the totally non strikes that get called strikes, or the total pipe shots that get called ball for like a stabbing catcher or something. It's like there's been people I've I've always talked about and I've never replicated it. Like, the, but and also they'll be more erratic on the they're gonna miss more calls on the margins. And I don't know about the missing part yet. I still have to work on some of this, but we're gonna look at calibrated and uncalibrated data. And just so it looks like, you know, you're talking about a handful of pitches that would be changed, three to five pitches a game. It depends on so many things. But, it, you know, for some umpires, it might be a lot, and some umpires, it wouldn't be much at all. But it's pretty much what we expected. Robot like, we're not too surprised by the people. results. They will be, but maybe, I don't know, depends a matter of time. Okay, you know, so. So stay tuned for all of that stuff. Um, yeah. I have uh, have seen some of the stuff and it is um I, I think it it will be something that will be really fun for folks to look at so i'm excited about it me too been a lot of people working on it. it's been a nice big team project all these yes. things just makes it kind of fun so with that we will take another break and uh after the break we will be talking a little bit about innings eaters Yes. So come on back. Don't wanna argue, I don't wanna debate. Don't 
dessert till you clean off your plate, so eat it. Don't you tell me you're full, just eat it, eat it. Get yourself an egg and beat it. Have some more chicken, have some more pie, it doesn't matter. Alright, welcome back. And again, uh, you can reach us on Twitter at stolen underscore signs. And if you have any questions, or comments or feedback, you can email us stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes. And now we are going to talk about uh, innings eaters. And Is it innings eaters or inning eaters? Innings eaters. Inning eaters. I think it's inning eaters. Inning eaters. Um, inning eaters eat innings. Yeah, but on, on my spreadsheet, I wrote innings eaters. So is it inning eaters. Inning eaters. Is it burrito supremes or is it burritos <laughs> burrito supreme? It runs batted in, not RBIs. Oh man! All uh, right, scrap it. Forget it. We can't. We can't do this episode. Let's so you know over. what? Ha- so you know what's happened in baseball? Ain't nobody throwing a lot of innings no more. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Yeah. Things have changed. So when you think of an inning eater, I, I think might, that I might say that innings I, eater actually. Innings. I don't know. Anyway, if when you th- I'll I'll play by your rules, Harry. Um, I don't know. I don't. I'm not making the rules. I'm just asking the. I honestly don't know. I, it just sounds a little better to my ear, but I'll I'll probably make I'll probably switch it up back and forth without okay. noticing. All right. So when you think of an inning eater. Yeah. What does that mean to you? I think it's that I first thought is I, I want to make sure that the person who's uttering it is not using it as a pejorative. Okay. So because it's base, the currency of baseball are, are your outs and you need to record 27 of them to win the game. And until you record the 27th out while your team has scored more runs, that's very important. Not like runs don't matter, but the currency of the game, that thing that we use to keep track of where we are in the game, is, is out. So even a 20-run lead isn't safe, theoretically, if if you haven't recorded that 27th out yet. Okay. So, so outs, getting outs are important. Like You have no way around it. Like You can win a game with one run. But you can't win a game with one out. You know, it's like you have to. There's no way around it. You got to get all these dudes out, and you have to do that 162 times. Um, sometimes you only need to get 24 out, but sometimes you have to play extra inning. Okay, so there's 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 circumstances, whatnot. But basically, the the whole game is about recording these outs, and it's how many you know how many people are you using to do that. So, like in the old days of baseball, you had two pitchers, you know, right. and eventually like four-man rotations and five-man, and now we're almost pushing the six-man rotation. And like, there's some clear, like, you know, historical easy lines for demarcation, and you know, like 250 innings. Okay, nobody throws 250 innings anymore. Right. And that has pretty much, like, the golden era of throwing 250 innings was the dead ball era. Like back then, it was like you had two types of pitchers, like the guys who pitched 250, you know, pitched a ton, like in way more than 250 innings in many cases, and then guys who pitched under 100. You know, it was pretty much, you know, and then some tweeners. But that was pretty much the game, was like a limited number of pitchers. And then sometime, you know, when the ball got lively, it changed. 
and it started to drop and drop. And it didn't really, from like the 1920s all the way through to kind of the 70s, it it never really went away. It just kind of stayed at a low level, kind of gradually kind of went down. But from like the mid 60s to mid 70s, we actually had like a resurgence, like a higher, a highest, you know, there's like in the 30s was a bit of a resurgence. And, and then again, in like the, around the mid 70s. But during that whole time, from like the 20s to the mid-70s, that long period of baseball where a lot of things happened. So they finally integrated. Uh, they, you know, there were some expansions, you know, and things like that. Um, you started to have more relief pitchers showing up, but you still had guys throwing 250 innings. And eventually it got to the point, though, it already was at that point where the more common thing was 200 innings. And that 200-inning guy was pretty much always around. Until like now, like literally nobody throws 250. There's been like five 250 inning seasons in Major League Baseball in like the last eight years or something ridiculous. And this past year, we only had like a handful, like maybe 5%. How many people threw over 200 innings? Two scrolls. 2%. Yeah, it's like 2%. And just in the 70s, it was 10%. You know, so it was two, and the 250 inning guys were 2% back in the late 80s. And so, I mean, the game has like turned into the situation where you had 50 to 60% of the guys are throwing less than 100 innings. Now, there's like 80% of the guys who appeared in the season, over 80% this year, who, who took the mound through less than 100 innings. Like that, that's really, really a lot. Nobody threw 250. There's been a, and there's kind of been this thing now where the 100 to 150 inning guys coming back, it's just like the roles have changed. Like there's no longer this every fourth day, not even in, barely every fifth day thing where a guy will go 70 innings for you. So in this, it's, we have, so you're not even just talking about the, you know the mid mid rotation guy. This is anybody, right? Yeah. No, I mean I'm just taking like all pitchers who appear. Yeah. And like okay. like how many outs did you get? And like, you know, 750 outs. You know, 250 innings, right? Not, then nobody does that. <laughs> nobody even does 700 anymore. It's very like you don't even. So that's 233 and a third. So I mean, you, you 200 is. So like 162, you know, the to qualify for the ERA title, you know, nobody even hits that anymore. I should check that exact number, but that that's you know the Mariners didn't have anyone in their entire staff qualify right. for ERA, and there was like just a very short list of guys who qualify for the ERA title. So you may have to change that. Like who cares? <laughs> but if you're gonna if you're gonna have those leaderboards and we've always had them, then we might want to think about like it's a lower inning requirement now because nobody's throwing that many. It's fundamentally different. Where, yeah. So, and it changed a lot in the last couple of years. Like it's really been a dip. Like it's been this gradual change. But, but the two hundred inning guys have started to really whittle away very quickly. And if if history is any indicator, they're probably not coming back. Right. So in in the last since two thousand ten. There have been a grand total of two pitchers mm-hmm. who have pitched over 250 innings, and that's what? Verlander and Halliday. 
and then there's a couple right right around 250 but um yeah so nobody does it anymore no it's 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 a lost skill like it just doesn't it's not going to come back 200 is we're at the point where 200 so it, it really the 150 mark is getting is starting to show attrition at this point where you're just likely to see guys throwing you know 100 innings 115 innings that that's a you know a rare like that that hasn't always been a popular amount of place but it's like you're, you're gonna have more guys working in those kind of middling ranges than you are going to have workhorses so so the value of a guy who can throw 180 to 200 to 220 innings is huge because you're saving a lot you're saving a roster spot it's like a whole relief pitcher you know it's like a whole guy you don't need to get 40 innings you know that's such a rare thing so i i, I know everybody talks about bullpenning and i think we're definitely going to see it but there's there's always there's kind of this limiting factor. Like, okay, how many pitchers you get you do have, and how are you going to get all these outs, and how are you going to do it every every game? And you can't you can't just rely on playoff strategy to do it. I mean, look at the Astros just picked up Garrett Cole, one of the more durable guys. You know, it's like they picked up Verlander. It's like the, the Astros are everybody's the Astros, you know, we're already a team that does bullpenning. You know, even I thought that. Like they'd right. be the first team to really go after that. Right now, eh. now they've like realized, no, you need to, if you can get some guys, like those are the commodity. Yeah. Yeah, because nobody's they, doing it. Anymore. They're so rare. And that just takes, a, that literally reduces, like if you have three of those guys, you basically like, okay, not only I've taken care of three of my starters, I've also taken care of three of my 12 relievers that I need to find. So there's right. a huge value. I mean, you 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 basically pushed up the quality of your bullpen by doing that. So if these guys are good enough to do it, they they should. It's a rare. It's become rare because we've become more sensitive about you know letting guys face an order three times. But you have to have some guys who can do that. Like you you're not you know you're going to have a hard time getting through a long season without that. And even in the playoffs, it seems very been, it seems useful to have guys who can at least once in a while give your bullpen that extra rest so they're extra fresh that can become an advantage uh, you know yeah i mean there was so much talk about when verlander went nine in the playoffs like that that was otherworldly because it gave the bullpen a rest and you know that that came back and definitely i think i mean i don't know how to quantify it exactly but seemed to benefit the astros yeah, so I think we're in this place where we are going to see different utilization of pitchers, and that's okay. But I, I don't think that teams are going to stop hoping to develop and valuing at a premium the guys who can go 30 starts or more, six innings or more at a time on average, because there's this huge value. You just You can't. If you can have one guy, you can get most of your pitching job done every you know, once a week. That that's a really valuable thing to have. <laughs> like, why would you not want that? It's just there aren't many guys who are trusted to do that anymore. So, I don't, I'm not sure why, but like this is the you know everybody throws harder. It's weird, you know. I'm not exactly you know like, or is it is it a health thing? You know, when Verlander retires, are we ever going to have another guy like that? You know, I mean. Because it's, it's there's not I mean are there any young guys on these lists you know not not really so that that's another thing is like you know the, the 200 things going out but 
what's going to happen? <laughs> if we really end up right. having no pitchers who can do more than 150 innings successfully in baseball, what is that going to look like, man? That's going to be, you know, that's going to be a lot of scoring and there's going to be a lot of pitching changes. That's going to be slow baseball. So I don't know. I, I don't know where any of this is going to go. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. So, <laughs> so I, I mean, when I picture an inning eater, I picture uh -huh. somebody who, like, so when I was pulling this stuff up, um, like, my criteria was, like, 200 innings pitched, um, and then I did a, different, a couple different sorts on it. I, I wanted to see, so somebody who is, you know, when you are using inning eater as a more of a pejorative, um, you know, it's somebody who's like, oh, they're just going to like chew up some innings. They're not going to be super great, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll kind of just hold down the fort for us, which is like a extremely valuable, like you were just saying, extremely valuable skill. Um, so that was one of the things that I pulled up. So I, I did a search 200 innings pitched and, um, but, uh, warp under two. And uh, just to kind of see, like, okay, what do these people look like? And <laughs> so that's the okay. So that's fine. Those guys don't exist anymore. Yeah, they they are very very rare. It's you know Verlander actually was on that list um, in 2014. Um, oh, this is really bad year. That yeah, this freak year. You don't you don't have John Lieber anymore. Right. Exactly. I mean Jordan Zimmerman is kind of that guy now. Okay. Um, is kind of in uh -huh. that in that range. Um, I'm just looking through for anybody even remotely recent. I mean, Mark Burley was totally that for most of his career, uh, or the tail end of his career anyway, I guess. Um, yeah, James Shields, it's actually interesting. Mm -hmm. From my list here um, in 2015, he, so I think that there's like 170, no, 116 on this that made this, this cut of, Again, it's 200 innings pitched, uh, warp under or equal to two. There is one person who struck out more than 200 people on this list, and that's James Shields in 2015. Everybody else is below 200, and I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. So, I mean, it makes sense because warp, you know, it's kind of, there's a little bit of selection bias here, but um, it's just interesting to kind of see some of these guys. As, these guys who are like average? Yeah. They're, like they're, they're not going to get those innings anymore. Yeah. Because they found relievers will do it more reliably, and there's less caring about guys going deep into the game. And, and, and right? I mean, isn't yeah. that what yeah. – I mean, it's just – so you won't find, like, the modern inning eater is actually your front-line pitcher. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's if, if you're saying this guy is going to eat innings in this era, that means he's probably really, really good. Because otherwise, there's no team that's going to run him out for a lot of innings. And I know you might be able to argue, like, James Shields kind of filled that role for the White Sox not too long ago after he was, you know, getting knocked around pretty hard. But I don't think they, you know, they saw him, like, as a guy who would pitch better. And I think he eventually did. So you have that, like, okay, here you're going to find an average pitcher who throws 200 innings. Those, those, are the, those guys are gone. That, that's really gone. You're only going to find these guys who are actually pretty darn good. Who can throw that long? Because everybody has too many relievers. Yeah, they're just not going to get the the starts. 
or the or the innings. The innings, yeah, they're not going to be left deep into games. It's just the the game has changed. The guys who are are really good. So, especially so, all, there's always been a value. So even like a guy like a John Lieber, right? Like he was a very valuable pitcher, uh, even though he was never really great. He was just good, solid every time out. He made an all-star game, you know. Weird, weird stuff because he won like 20 games one up but, but anyways he you know he's he was wasn't like the stud pitcher he was just you know above average for a starting pitcher which that's good you know that means you're better than the average relief pitcher too so you're, you're pretty good but you're able to like you're not an, you're not an ace right you're not going to be you're not going to be mistaken for an elite pitcher i mean he kind of almost was back then but standards now for what performances isn't just how many wins you have yeah so, so i mean some guys that that show up kind of that would fill this role currently are your you know like your jeremy guthrie's your chris tillman's you know the, and these are guys who you know some some of which start on opening day like i know chris tillman started on opening day last year and and so it's like like you're saying like these aren't guys who are kind of buried in your rotation they're they're guys you're you're rolling out there quite a bit. Yeah, so it's it's the I don't know, there's just not a lot of frontline starters out there. Yeah, and I, I mean I think that that I also wanted to talk about what is an ace. I mean mm. there's and and I think everybody has a different understanding or definition of that, but um yeah, so I guess I'd be interested to hear yours, Harry. What when you think of an ace, what do you think of uh Guys who uh, guys who are performing at a top three like pitcher in their league level, so there's like five to six guys in baseball in a given year who are performing that way, and there's very few guys who perform that way repeatedly. Um, guys like Kershaw and Verlander are are very special. Right, Scherzer, Grank, Granky, those are very 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 special. Those guys. So if you really want to say who's pitching like an ace, you'll find a few every year. But you want a guy who's a really an ace. There's probably three at a given, you know, true like. I, I think Sale is one. I think Verlander showed enough at this season that you might want to think about him as one again. But there was a point in his career where he was that guy. He might not quite be anymore. King Felix was at one point. Kershaw Definitely is not anymore. Right, Kershaw is, but Kershaw's probably already starting his decline. Um, but he was, you know, signing a war. Like Jake Arrieta was not an, a, a true ace by this definition. He was someone who performed as an ace, could pop up to that level of performance, but he's not someone who was like over five years sustained. Like, what about somebody like Kluber? Yeah, I think he's getting there. Yeah. So there's there's some okay, be- guys who are just like in and even on their bad years, they're like still right. you know, sign on contender. Yeah, put it that way. Like. And instead of guys who were in their best years are Cy Young contender. That's yeah, that's ace-like pitching, but that's, you know. Yeah, I think some guys in that next tier down, like you're talking about, where they, they may pitch like an ace or they have, may have a year like that. You know, I, I don't know. I might get some, some blowback from this, but I think somebody like David Price or, um, yeah, I mean... Well, guys don't sustain it, so it's like yeah. only you can only really be it for a few years, right? Yeah, it's like it takes a few years for you to get the recognition, and then that's pretty much you're done, right? And, and then, then you like sign your Darvish, then you sign your right, yeah. contract, <laughs> right? Or you don't, 
or you don't. Yeah, that's probably more likely nowadays. But yeah, that's really it's true. Like, who who's an ace right now? Like Scherzer. Okay, sure. Yes. Okay, Sale. Yes. Uh, Kershaw. Yes. Okay. Uh, Kluber. Yes. Okay. Uh, that's four. Dallas Keuchel. Sure, Keuchel, Granky. I think yes. you know maybe. I like him a lot. Yeah. Um. So we're kind of running through, you know. It's like the, it, very the most important point is most teams do not have one. Right. And I, I think that there, I mean that's kind of the part where a lot of people get stuck is like, oh, this he's is my ace. team's ace. Like, no, he's like, nobody's he's ace. Your best, he's nobody's he's your best ace. pitcher. He's your best pitcher. He's your number yeah, he's one. He's number one. He's your opening day starter, and we're sorry for you. Yeah, and it's not your ace. You can't an call ace. him your ace. An ace is like that. That's that's kind of the thing. It's like who are the elite? It's like there aren't that many. There there are not thirty aces. Right. I don't know that the Cubs have an ace. You know, for example, right. you know, Lester right. doesn't check that box. But that's right. okay. Most teams don't. Right. Yeah, I mean, Most, when you have a handful of guys who are on that next tier or can elevate to that next tier, then then that becomes okay. What about Strasburg? Yeah. Strasburg's like a two because yeah. like he's get he has injury problems yeah. and sometimes he gets knocked around, you know, for some reason. But he's one of those guys who's a two. I mean, a two is freaking fantastic, right? Like those are those guys are gold, and they'll pitch like once sometimes. Like, and sometimes it's really at really important times, and that can be fantastic. Right. But you're not you're, you're not you're not someone who you're just going to be really confident that you, you can get three years of Cy Young contention out of them in a row. Like it's, the norm is that they're, you know, throwing darts all the time. You know, some guys have down years, but you know, like Kershaw was insane. Like it's like. So there's always guys who yeah. there's always a couple guys who had numbers like his in any given season, but it was like different guys popping up. Like Granky would coming up, you know, he couldn't quite nail every year, you know, the Kershaw year after year after year. So it's like those are the elites of the aces, those are the aces of the aces, those are the guys who are clear cut. But the guys who you know are harder to figure are the guys like Strasburg, you know, and you definitely could say Arietta pitched like an ace for the Cubs, but yeah. I I always felt like. It could be fleeting, you know. He wasn't like because you know he has this kind of funky mechanics, and we yeah. saw that last year where he got kind of wild. There's consistency in Darvish in, is another guy who yeah. like looks very very ace like, but if you look a little closer, he has a lot of fastball command issues. So that's like okay, you know, it's like that. That's that's hard to say that guy's an ace because you, you got you expect that guy to come out and be able to throw his fastball command and, and establish you know some type of dominance every game, and. Darvish does not do that. So he falls like just close, but like he could be your team's ace and he'd be a really good number one for your team. Yeah. But in terms of like being a snob and saying this guy is one of the elite pitchers of the league, it's like, you know, not quite. But yet he is. Like if he's in the, we're talking about the difference between the top 5%, top 10%, you know, it's like. Yeah. So, so you don't have pick to, like you said, point. you don't have to do, yeah. But so if you want to just keep it to 10. You know, just don't go past ten. Don't tell me there's thirty aces on. You know, right? It's just because there's not. That this, it's like teams would be thrilled to have a guy at the front of their rotation who truly deserves that. You know, moniker. Yeah. You know it when you see it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's. It's like uh, somebody told me uh, one time. Um, if you think it's a crow, it's not a raven. If you know it's a raven, it's a raven. 
Um, I'll, there, I'll I've, heard, but... <laughs> uh, I've, I've heard uh, if you hear hoofbeats, it's probably not zebras. <laughs> I don't get that one. It's probably horses. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Got it. I had the same problem when I was told that. I was like, Huh? And it's horses, Harry. Horses. <laughs> oh, right. Got horses. horses. Got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's aces. That's inning eaters. We'll go deep on some of these things next week. We covered some ground, but we'll go into some of our new new toys, I think. Yeah. See, Pakoda's out, or whatever pitching week things we want to preview. We'll 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 have a guest. Yes. Of some. We'll go back to having guests next week, people. So we'll just have to listen to us. We like other people, for the most well, part. Don't. What's the some honest? other people? Not every other person. Some yeah, other sure. people. Okay, uh, fine. That's close. All right, all right, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Hit us up on Twitter at stolen underscore signs or email stolen underscore stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. Rate review on iTunes, and we will see you all next time. Have a big dinner, have a light snack If you don't like it, you can't send it